This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, sponsored by Soundring. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. I'm driving to the city of Los Angeles, and uh, that should probably indicate how crazy my life has been as of late, because, you know, normally I like to record these things in the comfort of my own home with my own recording studio and, you know, 60 mile per hour traffic. In my case right now, zero mile per hour traffic, because, you know, that's, um, that's the name of the game here in Los Angeles. So anyways, the guest this week is Mark Palm. He plays in a band called Super Crush, and previously he's played in bands like Go It Alone, Black Breath, his own solo project called Devotion. This dude is by no stretch of the imagination like a household name, you know, because the past couple weeks there's been some uh, heavy hitters, so to speak. But Mark's story is so incredibly interesting that I would be remiss if I didn't ask him to appear on the show. He's definitely not one that does a ton of interviews, so I felt pretty uh, lucky and privileged that he decided to, uh, you know, go really in-depth and share his story because it is very unconventional. His uh, thought process in regards to the way that he approaches life is uh, not like everybody else's, even going against the grain of the whole, uh, you know, punk and hardcore community as well, sidestepping it, so to speak. So, um, yeah, more on Mark in a few moments. Let's get some, uh, some other things at the top of the show out of the way. And uh, I'd like to, of course encourage you to check out jabberjawmedia.com we are a part of their podcast network and exciting things are happening over there shows are being developed other people are being introduced to other podcasts of this very medium that's focusing in on independent music so uh, i want to highlight a particular show because that's what i've been doing over the past couple of weeks and uh, this one in particular is from a previous guest of the show his name is shane told he sings for a band called silverstein and uh, he does a show called Lead Singer Syndrome, which, as you can probably imagine, focuses on lead singers on bands because Shane himself sings for the band Silverstein. So uh, he's only got maybe about three or four episodes underneath his belt, uh, and uh, they're really good. He's definitely, you know, finding his sea legs. Like, by no means am I calling the show bad, but, you know, usually when you start off, you're kind of trying to figure out what it is you're actually going to speak to these people about. Um, but Shane is definitely... Uh, a very intelligent dude, asks good questions, and uh, if you're interested in more dialogue similar to what this show is, go ahead and check out his show, because, uh, yeah, it's worth it. So, yeah, I'd like to thank, again, Jabberjaw Media and the presenting sponsor for this launch, Soundrink.com, a live experience ticket thing. <laughs> they are your spot for live experiences from VIP packages to just straight up buying tickets to shows. It's a great company. They've got great customer service, and uh, they don't you know, charge you out the wazoo in regards to service fees. So there you go. Thanks, Soundrink, and thank you, Jabberjaw Media. The reason I'm driving to Los Angeles and recording this in my car right now is I started a new job today. Woohoo! Exciting! It's been quite some time. I, my previous job, for those of you that are keeping count and track, is uh, I worked at PETA 2 for about six years, just over six years, and um, now I'm working at a company called The Midroll, and The Midroll is actually the fine people who help me get and find advertisers for my podcast, 
And uh, they've been a great partner for me for the past two and a half years. And then uh, an opportunity came up for me to potentially uh, work with them. And uh, that's what I'm doing. So I'm really excited. It's, uh, you know, there's a little bit of nerves flying around. I'm sure when you leave one job, which, you know, realistically, I could have stayed at PETA 2 for the next like 10, 15, 20 years um, if they would have me, of course. And I, I would have been fine because I enjoyed the job. But then it's weird when you kind of get to these fork in the road moments where you feel like I need a new challenge. You know, there are better opportunities where it's like in this case, this, you know, they were going to pay me more money. I get to work from home full time and all this other stuff that kind of made it even more difficult for me to uh, ignore this offer. Ultimately, that's what I'm doing. So um, I'm excited. And I will uh, give you an update next week on whether or not uh, I failed miserably on my first day or uh, I stumbled through and said, oh, you know, this guy, someone knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, um, yes, the guest this week, like I said, is Mark Palm. Uh, I became aware of him in his band Goat Alone. And um, my producer, Tom Richfield, I, I don't want to say obsessed, but basically enjoys all of the recorded output that Mark has ever put himself out in. And uh, he always kind of, when I say he, my producer, always kind of pushed me to be like, hey, you should get Mark on the show. You should get Mark on the show. And finally, I am delivering on that promise. Um, We were trying to schedule this for quite some time, and he was busy traveling and doing a bunch of other stuff. But we connected, uh, and I'm excited to bring you the conversation. So here is my discussion with Mark, and I will talk to you after the episode is over and, um, you know, reveal some stuff. person that we've been in the same rooms for years and years and years we've just haven't um you know been hey mark this is ray and vice versa but yeah i was gonna ask you if, if we had ever met in person no no we just it, it we should have at this point like because we you know whatever i did sound inferior for a couple of years and you know play i i want to say i want to say one of my bands played with you guys no, no, actually, I was, I was thinking of sinking ships, but regardless, we should have met by this point. And I always feel weird when, <laughs> when you're like, oh, yeah, I just. So, like, it, Go It Alone to me was, was kind of, uh, uh, without overstating it, definitely like a revelation of bands that were kind of in that ilk because, um, you know, honestly, it was a unique, unique take on a tired genre. In general, um, this is something that I've kind of, you know, uh, since that band, I've followed your, your musical progression. And it seems to be that's like how you kind of approach most of your music writing and kind of creative output where it's not necessarily that you're like breaking any molds per se, but you're putting your own very unique perspective on it and then that kind of differentiates you from you know the other bands that are kind of in your same you know either scene or musical genre or whatever i know it's kind of a big question to start things off but do you feel that that's kind of like accurately reflects the way that you either approach writing music or kind of the way that you you think about these things yeah i think that's pretty accurate i mean i've played in plenty of bands that were highly derivative of other bands from the past so i don't think everything that i've done is like particularly unique but i do always try to inject like at least a certain aspect of my own personality into everything that i'm doing you know so even if even if the music is very generic sometimes it's just like um like a lyrical angle or even just like an approach to the like visual aesthetic that might be uh more more of an indication of my personality rather than just a complete rip off of something that's already existed in the past. 
Right, right. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I think, like you said, I, I mean, I think when we're all young and, and uh, attempting to be creative, obviously we're only looking at the um, things that you can kind of pull directly from, i.e. the bands that came before you that you're just being like, yeah, I just want to sound like Unbroken meets Snapcase or whatever. Like <laughs> all you're doing is pulling those musical references. But then um, usually, obviously, when you're younger, you're kind of left to your own devices as far as the people that you play with. Um, so it's like right. so, sometimes it's interesting because obviously it's like, oh, yeah, the drummer we had was like, well, that he was just the only person in town and he was kind of the metal dude. So he brought a unique take to it or whatever. So, yeah, you, I see what you're saying, where it's like you start to um, have these influences that probably never would have happened if it was like, you know, simply just five or four kids in a room that all liked Gorilla Biscuits and that was it. Yeah, that's definitely the case from growing up in Vancouver because um, it was always like a really small scene. There wasn't a huge pool of musicians to pull from. There's never a big enough scene to really have like separate micro genre scenes. Like there was never enough bands to have like a youth crew show or like a metalcore show or like, you know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so as a result, like I grew up going to see like, submission hold but at the same time i was into like 10 yard fight and stuff like that you know what i'm saying right right (laughs) so so i think when we when we formed go it alone even though the basis of the band musically was like coming from kind of like a i don't know late 80s uh i guess youth crew hardcore that was kind of like the basis of what we were trying to do i think we were maybe even unbeknownst to ourselves at the time we were incorporating a bunch of influences um, that were like well beyond the confines of, of that particular subgenre. Mm-hmm. That's obviously why I think people kind of gravitated towards you, especially when, you know, after the first EP and the kind of, you know, the growing pains in regards to, you know, just getting out there and playing shows and becoming more accomplished. Um, you know, I mean, I doubt that you would ever refer to yourself as a musician during that time, but <laughs> as you started to uh, grow musically, um, and that's why I think people, you know, really latched onto them or launched onto the your band uh, for the you know the full length because it was just such a yeah it was just a, a weird conglomeration of a lot of different things that um, ultimately led people to be like oh yeah this is different than just yeah your your, your typical like you said you know ten yard fight old school hardcore release from a full length mm-hmm. perspective it's funny that you say that about the LP because in retrospect I actually think the first LP like does not at least to me does not stand the test of time particularly well but it's funny because I was by far like our most like you know our highest selling record or our most like widely you know that was our most popular release at the time right which is kind of it's kind of interesting to me because that's probably my least favorite <laughs> right well yeah it, basically when people obviously get to know you from one particular musical release and then that's kind of you know your uh, identity for you know years to come and obviously now we're still talking about <laughs> about it that there mm-hmm. there's that sort of uh, mental rut that you get into where it's just like oh yeah but i was really proud of histories or whatever you know everything else that you've done since then or whatever um you know not illegitimizing everything that you've done since then from my perspective but just speaking for myself i think what it captured for me was the fact that it was um uh for lack of a better term it, it just like actually captured emotion yeah you, you definitely felt like um that there was a uh, there's no difficulty in being angry or being sad um but it was just the uh way that you guys were obviously putting that on display i think kind of separated uh you from a lot of those bands because it didn't it basically didn't feel like you were going through the motions um if that makes sense yeah absolutely and i mean i 
you know, if if people love that album and don't like anything else I do, like uh, I just appreciate when people take an interest in you know anything that I've done. So yeah, I, I take it as a compliment. I definitely, I definitely don't try to like you know distance myself from you know any of the bands or the records that I've made in the past. Like I appreciate the fact that that people uh, you know cared about that record at the time and still do. Right, right. Yeah, you're not you're not talking people out of it. But you're like, no, 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 no. That thing sucks. You check out what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> the the one thing I'll say, the one thing that I do like about that record is that I really think it's like very of its time, mm-hmm. and that I think that period of hardcore and that time in hardcore probably won't really age particularly well. But I do appreciate that it's a snapshot of that time and place, and is is not just simply a carbon copy of like a previous time that that I never even got to experience. You know what I mean? It's really, when you hear it, it sounds very much like it came out in 2005. Right, right. Yeah, there are certain releases that kind of fall, you know, like you said, that maybe don't age very well, but then you can at least point your finger to pretty much almost exactly when that came out, where you're just like, yes, this sounds distinctly 1997 or whatever. Um, and Exactly, yeah. And even though, like, yeah, maybe sonically it, it's not able to last longer than whatever the few years after it, because you would be like, oh, the recording quality is so much better now or whatever. Um, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know, whatever. You can listen to a band like Chokehold and be like, oh, my gosh, like their recording quality is atrocious and you can hardly even listen to it. But you're like, yeah, that probably came, <laughs> that probably came out in like 1994, 95. And it's like, yeah, of course you can point that out. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but you mentioned uh, you mentioned Vancouver. So you were were you born and raised there or where did you come up? Yeah. I was born and raised in Vancouver, which is kind of kind of unique, actually. Like myself and Lucas, the drummer from Go Alone, we're kind of the only couple people that I can think of off the top of my head that actually grew up like in Vancouver proper. It, it um, is it is a weird. I never uh, I never got a chance to tour or play there with my own bands, but I went. I went to visit uh, a band uh, when I was working at a record label. I was trying to sign them, and I, I mm-hmm. went up to Vancouver to watch them play. And uh, it was such a—it's such a weird city. And I'm sure you obviously have a lot of emotions about it. But I just got this really, you know, like whatever. Landing at the airport and like kind of going through uh, certain areas of the city, where it was just like, oh my gosh, like you know, this is this is beautiful. There's this, you know, whatever the. I don't know if I call it a palace, but whatever. It's like the, you know, the beautiful grounds of, uh, you know, some official looking building and then, you know, some of the mm-hmm. touristy sections. And then all of a sudden it's like you cross over into this, just like, dude, this kind of feels like Detroit. Like this feels really, really bizarre. Like you can just tell that there's a, there's a lot of drugs in the area. Um, and granted, I guess you could argue that for almost any music venue that we've probably played at because it's not like the music venues that we played at are in a nice part of town. But I, I just got this, uh, this very <clears throat> distinct uh, class vibe of um, that I wasn't expecting because everyone usually says like, "Oh, Vancouver, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful." Um, so, like, it, I mean, it was my twelve-hour experience reflective of anything that you can identify with. Oh, big time! Yeah, that's like a cla- that's the classic dichotomy of Vancouver, you know, which I experienced big time growing up because I grew up kind of on the southwest part of town um, in like you know a very safe. Um, uh, quasi suburban neighborhood, even though it was, you know, within the city. Um, but like you said, I spent a lot of time going to shows um, on the downtown east side, and spent a lot of time hanging out there. And ended up moving there later. So, you know, from a very young age, I was exposed to, you know, both of those aspects of the Vancouver experience. And so, what was your family structure like growing up? Like mom and dad, brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah. My parents are still together. I have an older sister. Um, 
yes, and my family, it's pretty much just kind of my immediate family that's in Vancouver. Um, I have a lot of family in Minneapolis and family in Sweden. But in Vancouver, it's just uh, my folks and my sister. What did they do as you were growing up from a profession standpoint? Uh, my father works for the Parks Board. He's still working. Um, he's an architect um, who helps design um, community centers, public swimming pools, that sort of thing. And my mother's worked in uh, nonprofit, like for as long as I can remember. When I was a kid, she worked for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Hmm. And uh, she just she just retired recently, but uh, the last I guess decade or so of her career, she worked for the Multiple Sclerosis Society. Wow, that's that's that is very uh, uh, selfless, as they say. Obviously, nonprofit work is not uh, glamorous, <laughs> so your mom giving back like that's pretty rad. Yeah, it's, it's funny actually because she did that sort of work, you know, my entire life uh, when I was growing up, <clears throat> and I always just I guess I didn't really think about it that much because I just thought of her as my mom, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really saw the like professional side of her life. I just saw the the home life side of her life. You just view the work that your parents do as like obviously that's like the job. Like you don't really you know dive deep into what they're doing until later. Exactly. Yeah. When you're a kid, I guess you just don't take any interest in that. But it, but it was really cool because when she retired a couple of years ago, uh, I attended her retirement party at her work, and it was super eye opening because there was all these co-workers of hers who got up to speak about her, what she had contributed and how sorry they were to see her go and stuff. Right. And it really, you know, it took me, I was like 30 years old to really like grasp that she had this whole other side to her, to her life that I hadn't, I hadn't ever really taken like a very deep interest in. Right. And it was like, I was, I was kind of shocked and, you know, I, you know, I felt really proud of her and it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a whole new side of of someone that I know my entire life. Yeah, it was really cool. No, it's I mean it's important that you mention that because I definitely think that there is a there is a conception um, uh, of this this you know very adversarial relationship that um, obviously you know sons and daughters have with their their parents. Um, you know, not even particular particularly towards you know the independent music scene, but obviously you can trace it across the teenage life in general. And so, like mm-hmm. once you start to get out of that and realize that like your parents not only obviously like had a life before you and they like had all these like, wait, you were interested in stuff. Like you were, (laughs) it's like, it totally, yeah, obviously like you said, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, an emotional in a way because you're just like, Oh wow. Like I could have woken up to this a little bit earlier and been like, wow, like you're, (laughs) you're extremely important, not only to me, but to a lot of other people. It's great. Yeah. I definitely had like kind of a somewhat tense relationship with my parents as a young teenager. You know, I was like a, teenage punk rocker and I hated going to high school and you know I, I looked like <laughs> I looked like a freak so I had you know kind of like a classic like teenage punk like combative relationship with my parents but then I think that only lasted like for a few years and even as like a very young adult I kind of took my mom aside explaining to her like you know even though even though I've chosen like a very different path in life than than you and dad like it's not because I disapprove of what you're doing or like or think that you guys have like some kind of corrupt lifestyle which is kind of like a classic teenage punk thing you know to like be like oh I never want to be like my parents like they're so fucked up or whatever so I I made 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 sure to make it clear to, to her that I was like you know don't don't think that the way I'm living my life is like out of rebellion 
or in some kind of like critique on how you're living your life. Like I'm actually like very uh, impressed and humbled by what you've done with your life. It's just like very different than what I've chosen to do with mine. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a really important distinction to make. And uh, I mean, honestly, that's a pretty mature thing for you to be able to kind of recognize because yeah, I do think that, you know, there is that notion of I'll never be like my parents because like they're total sellouts. Like what, I, like, you know, they, <laughs> what a, they've totally bought into this horrific system that I'm doing everything I can to rally against in whatever practices I'm, I'm adopting and whatever philosophical beliefs I have. But then, um, yeah, but to make, to, to be able to make that distinction of like, no, I'm doing this because I've chosen this path rather than think that you are just a completely worthless human being or whatever, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's hilarious in retrospect. Like, you know, I can think of times when I was like 15 and like a brand new vegan and like just being so critical of my mother for like eating meat or something like that. But meanwhile, she's like spent her whole life like helping people who are like, visually impaired or helping people with multiple sclerosis or helping, you know, she's spent her whole life like doing valuable work. <laughs> but meantime, it's like a teenager with kind of like blinders on to get on a horse and like be very critical of others. Right, right. I'm, I'm willing to cut you down pretty quick, mom. <laughs> So, yeah, as you mentioned, like, obviously, the sort of kid that you find yourself being when you uh, were developing your identity was uh, definitely in relation to music. And, um, you know, how did that get kind of uh, introduced to you? Because usually there's the sort of, uh, I like to call it a gatekeeper, where it's like, you know, either older brother or sister or someone kind of showing it to you. So who... uh, who kind of presented it to you or was it just one of those things you tripped across yourself? Well, I didn't really come from like a particularly musical family. Like neither my parents or my sister are musicians and there wasn't a great deal of music around when I was growing up. Like I can remember on family trips and stuff like that, like in the car, we would, we had some tapes, like we would listen to Carol King and uh, the Beach Boys and stuff like that. Dad was also, my dad was also pretty into jazz, which I thought was kind of cool as a kid, but it was also a little over my head at the time. And then in the early 90s, I got, I was, as a kid, I was just like drawn to anything that I thought was cool. And I really had, I really had no concept of what actually was cool, but I just thought like, I thought uh, Mohawks were cool. I'd never heard punk music, but I thought like, I must have seen some punks like on TV or something. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's like what cool people look like. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought people with mohawks were cool. I thought tattoos were cool. I didn't know anyone with a tattoo, but somehow I got it in my head that that was cool. I thought that skateboarding was tattoo uh, was cool. I didn't know anyone who skateboarded. Uh, but somehow, for a young age, at least visually, I was like attracted to, I guess, kind of like countercultural things. And then when kind of the grunge thing blew up, that was when I first started being exposed to, I wouldn't say underground music, but at least music that had roots in the underground. You know, like I was, it's funny now looking back because at the time I I don't think I realized that I was listening to bands that came from punk or came from like an underground scene. Uh, At the time I thought that was just mainstream rock, you know, like I would hear, uh, I would hear Nirvana on the radio uh, and I just thought that was mainstream rock music, which it was at the time, but I didn't realize that it was coming from a from a punk background. And likewise, I was I was super into the band Sugar because I heard them on the radio, 
And it wasn't until many years later that I found out that, oh, this is a guy from Who's Could Do. This band is like this long lineage that connects them to punk and hardcore. I had no idea at the time, but that was, I guess, my initial, when I was first exposed to, like, you know, this kind of aggressive music mm-hmm. was uh, Nirvana, like I said, Sugar, Soundgarden, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I, I find it interesting just hearing what you were mentioning, the... Um... You, you were you were drawn to the aesthetics because I definitely think that there's um, there's kind of a, a common theme whether or not it's like um, you're attracted to uh, this particular like look or whether you're attracted to uh, what you deem like you said as like a cool lifestyle like I I, I distinctly remember like going through you know the the warehouse or Tower Records or whatever um, and be like walking by like a Cannibal Corpse record and being like mm-hmm. what the fuck is that dude and like. <laughs> again just drawn to the aesthetics where i was just like oh this looks sweet like i have no context for you know in the same fashion as you were with like you know sugar or whatever um not to say that i ever had the courage to actually take the cannibal corpse tape up and purchase it because it would have been immediately immediately (laughs) thrown out by my parents if they found it but there's definitely that that sort of attraction to like this feels like something i shouldn't be into you know (laughs) yeah i mean you were definitely into some more intense shit than me if you were if you were drawn to Cannibal Corpse, and I was drawn to Sugar, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's <laughs> true. I I think it was about like I said, it was uh, I had no idea what they sounded like. It was definitely just like me being uh, an eleven year old uh, being like, dude, I like I like Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, and then like, what's Cannibal Corpse? Like, I had no I had no yeah. bearing for anything. It was just like, oh yeah, this looks risque. Yeah, it was all, all kind of like forbidden. Totally, yeah, totally. So, like I was saying, I guess that was my first experience with like you know, quasi underground music. And then my first exposure to, I guess, what you would call punk was, I guess, in, I guess it was 94 when there was that massive punk explosion with Green Day and Offspring and, and Rancid and Bad Religion and all that stuff. So that was the first, like, I guess, fully punk music that I got into. You know, I heard Green Day and Offspring on the radio, on rock radio. And then from there, I was like, just doing everything that I could to uncover more information about punk music. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of access. That was like in the very infancy of the internet being widely available. So that wasn't really like an easy access point for me. And there weren't any punk rockers at my school. There was one, I think I was in grade. It was the summer before eighth grade that I discovered like no effects and stuff like that. And then I got to high school and there wasn't a single punk rocker. There was like one girl in the 12th grade who had like a rancid and misfit sticker on her car. And I was like, oh my God, this girl is so cool. But of course, I never, I never talked to her. She was like living in a totally, you know, different world than my eighth grade self. Right, so right. I had to really like, I had to really like dig to uncover like as much information as I could about punk. And I was just like super super into it immediately yeah I, lo- I love that um that assessment that you do when you do enter a new situation uh usually obviously like a new school year or something you know everyone always has their you know picks up their clothes and uh is like all right this is the sort of impression i need to make on the first day and then you know after you've done that but then you start to kind of like you know see the playing field where you start to like you said examine who else is out there be like hey is anybody else receiving the signal 
Is anybody else like even remotely interested in this sort of stuff? Like I'm wearing my no effects shirt. Anybody else out there? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that you find, uh, yeah, yeah you, like you said, you find one person and you're just like, oh, oh yeah, there's no way that you'd ever talk to me. You're, you're like five <laughs> years older than me. This is not, a, this is not a normal scenario for me to just go up and talk to you. Yeah. 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 Like I was, I was looking for like any trace of like subculture in my neighborhood because like I said, the neighborhood that I grew up in, it's in Vancouver, but it's kind of like a ways away from downtown and it's like kind of a cultural dead zone. There's me and a couple of my friends who skateboarded and then there were some kids who wrote graffiti. And then other than that, there was, it was just a complete dead zone. So I was like constantly looking for just like any clue that there was anything going on below the surface. And like, even to this day, I can still remember specific instances of like seeing someone on the streets in my neighborhood who looked vaguely punk or like seeing someone in my neighborhood, like with a tattoo. This was before tattoos were like super, super commonplace, especially in that neighborhood. So it was like such a momentous event at that time, just to see someone with like spiked hair or like a, uh, like studded bracelet or something like that. Like mm-hmm. I was, it was, it was so like, it made such a big impression that I, I still remember it like, you know, 20 years later. Right. right. Yeah. You which, get... which is hilarious, which is hilarious because now like all that stuff is like so easily accessible. Right. Um, there are probably similar experiences, but just such a different, on a different wavelength that uh, obviously we, uh, we wouldn't recognize, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you strike me. I mean, not uh, you know, not casting any quick judgments on you or anything like that. But you strike me as a very, uh, I guess, reserved and quiet person, um, where you're not like, "Hey, look at me! I need to be the center of attention." Sort of uh, person. Um, is that accurate at all, or were you kind of you know always sort of uh, fading to the background of you know a party or anything like that? If you didn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. in that situation, I think that's kind of like a it's half accurate. You know, I'm not like a party person. I never have been. And I've always been, like, pretty shy. Uh, But on the other hand, like, look what I've done for the last, you know, 20 years. I've played in bands and, like, you know, sang in bands in the center of attention. So I think there is, like, a certain, like, narcissistic side to my personality that's kind of, you know, directly in contradiction to, like, the the more shy, like, side of my personality, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's um, be—because I I definitely think it's an interesting notion, uh, because I I can see where people such as yourself are coming from, um, where— you you enjoy performing, you enjoy getting up in front of people and you enjoy, you know, the the visceral aspect of, of playing a show and sweating it out and yelling along with people. Um, but then is it one of those things where you feel like you've got to uh, decompress pretty quickly afterwards? Or, you know, how, how do you sort of cope with that that uh, attention? Or was this kind of a learning process for you as people started to be like, oh, dude, it's Mark. He, he's he's from Goat Alone. Like, that's pretty awesome. Like, how did you uh, how did you grapple with that? Uh, I mean, I'm like pretty comfortable with, with, you know, people, you know, being excited about, you know, music that I've made or whatever, because I'm such a fan of music. Um, so it doesn't, you know, it's never really tripped me out when people approach me and say like, oh, hey, like, uh, you know, I really love this record that you did or like you made a, you know, made a big impact on me growing up or something like that. Like that sort of thing doesn't trip me out because I feel the exact same way about so many bands that, that I was heavily into growing up. So that's, to me, that's totally relatable and that that doesn't like make me uncomfortable or anything like that. 
Nice. Yeah, I like I like the way that you look at that because it it's some people that might be uncomfortable with that notion. You know, can't look at it like that. They're just like, oh, why why do you even care about me? Like I'm I'm unimportant. But then if you relate it back to your own head of like, well, no, but I'd be stoked if I met Bob Mold or what. You know, like you're able to kind of flip it back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'm not the type of person to like to go out of my way to meet people that I look up to or, or stuff like that. Like over the years, I've played so many shows with kind of legendary legendary bands and i'm usually just content to kind of enjoy them at a distance you know what i mean mm-hmm. like I, I usually don't feel the need to like you know introduce myself but when people do it to me i always, you know i appreciate it especially when i feel like they get where i'm coming from or or, or you know when i feel like they really get it because that's that's kind of rare there's like many people who have enjoyed music that i've made over the years but it's actually like pretty rare that i get the impression that they really get it you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. And when that happens, that's like super rewarding. That's you know, that's one of the most rewarding things. I will be getting back to the conversation, but I I must break in and let you know that the podcast today is sponsored by Zevia. Now you're like, what what is what is Zevia? Like I I've, I think I've heard of it. Maybe I've I've seen the name about. I'm letting you in on some some amazing stuff here. So Zevia is a zero calorie, naturally sweetened soda. There's 15 different flavors to choose from. My personal favorite is black cherry. Just dive into that one first and you'll be like, oh, Ray, this is the elixir of the gods. Thank you so much for putting this past my lips. And you're welcome. Visit zevia.com backslash flavors and you can see the, uh, you know, like I said, 15 of these things. Like you'll be able to drink whatever you want. Maybe something like that. (laughs) Anyways, I also encourage you to visit zevia.com backslash podcast. So that's z-e-v-i-a.com slash podcast. There are amazing things going on here. Like I said, zero calories, no sugar, no artificial sweeteners, no caramel color. There's no GMOs in there and you can find it anywhere. So go to any grocery store, natural food store, or go to amazon.com and you can find it there and you order it and ships it directly to you. Visit the zevia.com backslash podcast link because they are giving away some, some cases. So if you visit that and uh, you know, sign up. You there's a good chance that you may get a case on your doorstep. And it, it was exciting for me because this is a product that um, I personally have drank many, many times before. But you know, I just didn't drink it for a few years. And so then, uh, because they started to show an interest in the podcast and come on as a sponsor, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get back in the saddle. I'm gonna check it out again. What boy? What was I missing? <laughs> I was missing a lot. I actually told my mom. I was like, hey, mom, it's great. Like, remember that product you showed me like five or six years ago? I mean, I didn't say product, but I said soda. <laughs> remember that thing you showed me, you know, five, six years ago? She's like, yeah. And then I was like, I, they're, they're taking out out in the podcast. It's awesome. And she was like, why did you stop drinking it? I was like, you know what? That's my fault. I'm encouraging you to not make the same mistake that I did and stop drinking this stuff. So, yes, visit zevia.com backslash podcast. That's Z-E-V ia.com slash podcast and just enjoy you will be able to thank me much later and be like ray you got me onto that stuff i appreciate that there you go and so then as you were kind of coming to the uh end of high school and obviously having to uh you know make uh, real life decisions and all that sort of stuff like did go to loan start for you like in high school and that that was for all intent and purposes like your first i guess quote-unquote serious band where you actually you know toured and everything like that right i played in like a couple hardcore punk bands before that um one of them was called the attack and that was that was the first band that i was in that ever like released the seven inch and and we did a bunch of tours and stuff like that that happened when i was 18 like between when i was 18 and 20 so just just after high school 
and then Go It Alone kicked off uh, when I was 20, I believe. Got it. And so what were your, uh, did, did you have uh, quote unquote plans? Like, were you, uh, you know, in regards to like, this is what I would like to do for a, a job or was it like, well, everything is kind of, you know, centered around music. So I'm just going to focus on that and just, you know, have crappy jobs or whatever. Yeah. I never had any like career aspirations or like uh, a plan in that sense of it. Like I really hated high school and my plan was just, as soon as I graduate high school, I'm going full on into an adventurous life, whether that's just like traveling on my own or touring in bands. Uh, but I knew that you know, I wasn't, I didn't have any plans to go to college. I didn't have any plans to like get a serious career or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I felt like I had been kind of like confined for, you know, 13 years in the education system and kind of, kind of been forced to to do something that I didn't want to do and forced to be in a situation that that I didn't enjoy that I felt stuff stifled by for many many years so as soon as I had the opportunity to go do my own thing and like pursue like I said an adventurous life that's what I did immediately interesting I, I, I like the way that you phrase that where it's like you were uh just looking for adventure <laughs> because I mean I, I think that a lot of people maybe think that, but maybe either they don't describe it as such. They're just like, oh, I just, you know, want to do whatever. But it sounds like you obviously had some, um, for lack of a better term, like a particular focus where you were just like, you just wanted to uh, travel and be afforded opportunities that were, I guess, outside of the conventions of what you knew. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've never really been like kind of like a, a shiftless layabout, layabout, like, uh, I've always been like a pretty motivated person. So even even though I didn't want to have a career or didn't at that time or didn't want to pursue education. It's not like I wanted to just like sit around on my ass and watch TV or something like that. Like I wanted to get out there and and experience the world, you know? Right. Right. And I was always, you know, and at that time I was super into traveling. Like I went on a bunch of like lengthy bicycle trips when I was young, I was into riding freight trains and hitchhiking and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, so I was out there doing that stuff, like, you know, before I even started touring the band. Right. Interesting. So it was kind of the, um, you know, cause I, I definitely was super into the, whatever the crime think, uh, comet bus scene of, you know, like you're talking about whatever dumpster diving, not like you said that, but I'm, <laughs> I'm saying it, um, mm-hmm. of yeah. just, just the kind of you know, the notion of just, uh, seeing the world for, you know, uh, very little money and just obviously trying to either operate off the kindness of strangers or the network of people that, you know, so th- that's something that you, uh, were, were into and you explored that. Yeah. Big time. Like, kind of like I was mentioning earlier, like, I've, you know, from a very young age, I've always been into like more of the clean cut, like straight edge hardcore kind of thing. But at the same time, I was always like a part of like the punk scene in Vancouver. And especially at that time, that punk scene was like uh, very much revolving around, uh, like you said, like, you know, riding trains, dumpster diving, uh, that sort of lifestyle, you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess, uh, you know, I always had an, you know, I, I had an interest in, in that sort of thing. In addition to having an interest in, in playing hardcore. It's so strange because there are... Um 
there for for me i mean i never went down that road but it was definitely this this romantic notion um and i think a, a lot a way a lot of the that zine culture kind of sprung up around that idea um you know like i, I remember the uh, i think it's like albert alberian the uh, bassist of mile marker i mm-hmm. know he did a lot of writing in regards to that sort of lifestyle and so it's definitely romantic but then me just being kind of the sort of you know very <laughs> practical i guess realist where it was just like yeah but then well, I, I can't, I, I can do that for about a day, but then I would need to figure something else out. <laughs> but obviously but I, I wouldn't be, you're a much more reasonable person than me. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you basically, uh, did you travel around the entire country kind of with that, uh, that sort of philosophy? Yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, yeah, I did a lot of traveling in the States, um, some traveling in Canada. I went to Europe. I did like a, I would travel in Europe for like, five or six months like I did a bike trip uh, for a couple months and then just traveled on my own for an additional few months um so yeah before before Goldalon started I spent like you know I guess two years between graduating high school and really getting busy with Goldalon I spent a couple years uh, you know traveling a lot and then when I was in Vancouver just living in communal punk houses and stuff like that right right um, obviously I'm sure that there are, uh, many things you learned during that time. Um, more so, you, you know, maybe either re- reflecting on yourself or obviously that the world around you, um, do you look back at those times, uh, I guess, nostalgically and fondly through like rose colored glasses or were there, were there moments where you were like, holy shit, this is really hard. <laughs> like, was there, or was it a juxtaposition of both? No, I look on it, look back on it really fondly. And I, to be honest, I don't even look back on it as something that like, I don't even look on it, look at it as like a phase from the past. Like to me, it's still, it's still going, you know, like I, I just spent the last three months on a road trip with my girlfriend living in a van. I'm, I'm really not that far removed from the type of thing that I was into doing you know, 15 years ago. Totally. Totally. No, that's cool. Yeah. You're just, these, you're, you're just applying the principle. You're applying what you've learned in the past to be like, Oh, I know how this can be, you know, slightly easier or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and as far as, as far as looking back on it as being hard, like I don't think I would ever do that because certainly there was, you know, kind of rough times. Certainly there's times where you didn't have any food to eat or sleeping on the streets, but that was all self-imposed discomfort. You know what I mean? So I could never claim that it was, that I was, you know, truly living like a hard life or anything like that. Mm, right, right. <clears throat> Obviously, I, I mean, I'm not going to document all the steps in, in Go to Loan's career, but basically, uh, was there, because um, it, it seemed to me that a lot of the um, pressures that start to kind of come down on bands of that nature that obviously start to gain some notoriety within the scene. All right, well, how do we take it seriously? And like other labels are talking to us and like all the business stuff starts to kind of swirl around you. Um, was was that the case for you guys or were you always trying to kind of keep it at a sort of uh, manageable, comfortable level? Um, you know, how did that kind of transpire within the the internal workings of the band? Well, to be honest, in Go to Alone, I was mostly concerned with with the artistic side of, of things. Lucas, the drummer, was more of the, the business-minded, logistical side of things. And at the time, we lived together, <clears throat> so it was really good. It worked out very well. Like, we had both both sides of it covered. Um, so, you know, I, I took an interest in, in, I guess, what you would call the business of the band, but that definitely wasn't my main focus. The one thing that I think made it easy is that 
from pretty early on, we got hooked up with Rivalry Records. It made it quite simple because we we were really happy with that situation. We really trusted Kyle, who ran the label. Uh, he did a really good job by us. So we didn't really have the impetus to like shop around for different labels. Like I, I suppose we were approached by at least one bigger label, um, but we felt loyal to Kyle. Like he had invested so much in us and put so much work into it that you know kind of stayed the course. With him. And so then uh, you uh, you obviously did your uh, well I wouldn't even call it a project, but you you created your your uh, I guess alter ego in devotion. Obviously, in between uh, the or after Goat Alone stopped to exist, um, and it seems to really address mm-hmm. a lot of the what you're talking about the sort of um, <laughs> for lack of a better term professional wandering that you do. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe you can put that in a business card. You can take that term if you'd like. <laughs> professional wanderer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it seems like a lot of the uh, experiences that you uh gathered in doing that were obviously directly related to the lyrical content that you had devotion is that uh am i reading into that too much or is it definitely reflective over you being able to just kind of solely express your vision like that kind of surprises me to hear you say that i think i guess there was a couple a couple songs where that's true but i felt like uh with devotion sorry the yeah with the first devotion album i feel like most of the lyrical content is more like on a on the tip of like questioning the idea of like an afterlife or questioning various like religious ideas or spiritual ideas if that makes sense Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, d- I didn't mean to uh, pigeonhole uh, your... No, no, that's fine. Obviously, just because it is your own vision and your own lyrical output that you could um, you know, focus more solely, obviously, on yourself rather than worrying about what other people thought about <laughs> whatever lyrics you were trying to uh, accomplish. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, with Go Alone, I just, there was no one really like vetoing what I was writing. Like, I, I felt very free to like, express myself uh, in Go Alone as well when did black breath start to exist in your life as well like when was uh how old were you when that kind of started to kick into gear uh let's see well black breath existed for a number probably four or five years before i joined the band mm-hmm. and they were all friends of mine uh from bellingham like i said i grew up in vancouver uh, as you may know bellingham is college town in washington state just across the border from from british columbia so it's close to vancouver it's in between vancouver and seattle um, so I spent a lot of time there. So I had a bunch of friends there. And then anyways, they started this band, Black Breath, uh, who I was a big fan of. And right about the time that Go Alone finished, uh, our guitar player, Ace, uh, he joined Black Breath. And at that point, Black Breath kind of like started taking off a little bit. That's when they did their first record and started started touring and stuff like that. And then a few years after that, one of their guitar players, Zach, ended up leaving the band. So I replaced him. And I guess that was about, that was probably in 2011. Yeah, just trying to trying to place on the timeline because um, I didn't know exactly when you had uh, and landed in on that. It, it seems like all of the uh, kind of music that you've been involved in also has this, uh, I guess, uh, the ability to be able to um, focus on it, but not have it consume your life, if that makes sense. You know, where it's like, you know, Black Breath, obviously, you guys, you know, you, you, you tour and you're active, uh, but not to the point where you're out, you know, whatever, 300 days out of the year, where it's like some bands, obviously, that's their sole focus, where it's like they want to be existing on the road um you know say i I would equate it to go it alone as well where it's like you guys toured when it obviously made sense and it kind of lined up um has that always been kind of a 
uh, for lack of a better term, a strategic approach to where, you know, you're trying not to get burnt out on the, I guess, the touring lifestyle? Or is that just like happenstance? No, that was never really planned. Like I was, especially with Go Alone, I was always pushing like to get out on the road as much as possible. Uh, and we did. We toured a lot. Um, but we also had to work around, you know, other members' lives. You know, not everyone was like me and Lucas. We're definitely like fanatical about the band. That def- for, for those years, that definitely consumed both of our lives. But we also, you know, over the years, we had other members in the band who were going to school and stuff like that. So it was never, it was never feasible to be on tour, you know, all year long. But we would definitely, you know, get out there for, you know, I don't know, three or four months a year or something like that. Black Breath seems to have, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, kind of a, a similar approach as well, where um, it isn't the the huge grind um because you know obviously i'm sure you have many friends who have done the touring lifestyle uh and then you know they reach a certain point where it's just like hey you know this kind of feels like a job like this doesn't feel fun anymore um you know is is that uh is that somewhat in the mind of obviously where black breast stands where you guys are uh, more selective about what you do um i think yeah but i actually just left black breast a couple months ago but to answer your question yeah i think black breast is a little more selective like there was many, many tour opportunities that were offered to us. We turned down just because, um, you know, we weren't really enthusiastic about it or, or, you know, the bands on the package, like weren't really, you know, bands that we were like super excited about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but at times, you know, at times it, it, regardless of that, it still becomes a bit of a grind or it can be, become a bit of a grind, especially right, you know, right when an album comes out. There's like your typical touring cycle or whatever you want to call it that mm-hmm. could, could be up, you know, up to two years, you know, and it's not like you're on the road every single day for two years, but for a lot of that, for a lot of that time, for sure. Right. You have to be prepared for that cycle, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, where you're, where you're at now, um, it, like you said, it's just kind of a continuation of, uh, what you've been doing in regards to, uh, just your, your, your traveling and the, the way that you're experiencing life and stuff like that. Um, is it one of those things that basically you just kind of return home from one of these, um, you know, adventures that you go on and you just basically like land at a random job and you just kind of, you know, figure it out. Um, or do you have, uh, I, I guess as, as you get older, you kind of have more of a, uh, uh, a focus in regards to what you do or what you want to do um you know so where's your uh, where's your head kind of sitting at right now um well as far as just landing in random jobs i was lucky lucky enough to have um like a really really uh, understanding boss for many many years i've been a bicycle career for like over 10 years and my boss is actually a hardcore guy uh who played in bands and still plays in bands and stuff like that so so he was totally understanding of my needs to time off to go on tour and stuff like that. So that was actually like a really helpful situation for all those years when I was playing Go Alone and Blackgrass and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I wasn't getting paid very much, but I had, you know, total freedom to come and go as I pleased. Uh, so that, that was a huge help because prior to that, it was always a scramble, like coming home from tour and scrambling to get, you know, some crappy minimum wage job for like two months before I left again for the next tour, you know? Mm-hmm. And where, uh, like, you know, looking forward, like, where is it, uh, that you are, uh, I guess you, you plan on just, uh, kind of existing in the same, um, 
the same philosophy and the same mindset that you have been approaching it where uh, you just kind of, you know, continue to go on these adventures and obviously still uh, uh, wander? Uh, well, I still, I still want to have an adventurous life, like going into the future for sure. I guess maybe I'm trying to be slightly more more reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> right, now, right now I'm going through the testing process to uh, try to get a job working for the U.S. Coast. Um, so that's not really dissimilar from what I've been doing for many, many years for work, but it's, I guess, a more stable version of the work that I've been doing for years. Right, right. Obviously, I mean, I I can't tell you how many times that I've seen the, uh, horrific bumper stickers sayings of the, you know, the not all who wander are lost. Like, you know, I just want to gouge gouge my eyes out every time I see those because, you know, usually the people that put them on there are, you know, driving, uh, some very stereotypical car and are just, anyways, judgment call on my end of things. But, um, you know, the, the notion is that obviously for people, uh, that do go on these, uh, you know, uncalculated adventures, um, are, you know, are searching for something. So like, do you, is it one of those things where do you reflect on that? Like, you know, what, what am I looking for when I'm going on these adventures or is it simply the experience that you're trying to soak in? Uh, I think it's mostly the experience. Like I don't, I mean, I'm like, a, I'm a very curious person. So I'm, I'm always, but I don't know if I would say that I'm searching. I don't know if that's quite accurate. Like I'm always interested in like experiencing new things and learning new things. But I mean, I don't feel like particularly lost or anything like that. Like I've always been a very focused, driven person, just not, not just not career minded, you know, mm-hmm. but I've always, I've never just been really like floating through life. You know what I mean? I've always been very focused on accomplishing things. They just happen to be things that, uh, don't provide any financial security. <laughs> sure. They just, right. They, they don't happen to uh, yield the results that people sometimes uh, would expect <laughs> to be looking exactly. for from, from the life. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, the only reason I ask that is because it's um, you know, just because you have chosen an unconventional path in, in, in so many respects of, you know, obviously being uh, attracted to, you know, punk and hardcore to begin with and independent music in general, that obviously adds a layer of complexity that uh, a lot of other people just don't understand. And then so adding additional layers, whether it's like, you know, veganism, um, all, all these other things that you can kind of introduce to your life to, you know, make you more of an outsider. Uh, sometimes makes a person obviously more reflective on the world at large to where it's just like, why have I chosen these things? You know? And it's like, uh, cause you, mm-hmm. you strike me as a pensive person. Like you, you, you're, uh, you're thoughtful. So that's the reason why I asked, like, obviously that there is, um, if there is something that you are, uh, uh, desiring to kind of find out through these journeys. So that was the reason I asked that. Mm, yeah. Um, and the last thing I wanted to hit on was basically the, um, you know, you've, you kind of answered it earlier on where it was like the, um, you know, you're, you're reflective over your, your music. Um, but I guess not overly, uh, nostalgic where you're trying to be like, Oh, like, you know, don't listen to that. Listen to the newest thing that I've done or whatever. Um, does it, uh, does it, does it surprise you when people, um, I guess still, you know, reach out and obviously have uh, cared about the music that you've either created in the past or, um, in, unexpected places you find people where you're just like, Oh, you, you know, my band, like, you know, me, um, how, how does that kind of, uh, uh, you know, how does that surprise you? Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because just last week, um, like I said, I just moved here to Oakland. So, uh, I've been applying for jobs here and just last week I sent an email, the resume to somebody and they responded and they're like, Hey, is this a strange question? Is this Mark Palm from super crush? 
So that that was definitely <laughs> the strangest place that I've you know that my name has been recognized from my music stuff. Right, right. That was that was a new one. Um, uh, not sure if it will help me get the job. But <laughs> totally. It, it, is that is that kind of where you're putting all of your your musical energy uh, right now into uh, to Super Crush? Um, that's yeah. That's a, one of the main main focuses for sure. Like we're slowly working on this series of two song singles. We've done two of them so far, mm-hmm. and I have the songs written for the next one. Hopefully, we'll record that uh, maybe in November or December. Nice. So that's something that I'm working on, and uh, there's also some bands and projects down here in California that uh, remains to be seen. But hopefully, hopefully, I'll get something going down here soon. Yeah, no, that's exciting. Well, dude, I really appreciate your time and uh, hanging out. I was this was this was a very uh, calm and soothing conversation. I liked. Uh, sometimes I find myself getting like excited, but then this you uh, you're, you're a calming presence, Mark. Way to go! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So that was Mark. Interesting dude, right? I love kind of you know poking around about uh, his decisions that he's made through his life, and, and not a judgmental manner, obviously, because you can hear the interview and it speaks for itself. But um, I just love it because you can tell that he loves what he does. He loves being able to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, like travel for a while and just like not worry about real life and obligations and everything else that, you know, normal people worry about. And um, it's honestly refreshing because there's definitely a bit of uh, I hate to use the word wanderlust because that's just a I don't know. I I, I feel that's a uh, something that people put in their uh, Instagram profiles and I don't even think they really even uh, truly know what that means. But there's an element of that, uh, like I think in all of us, and I, I know for me in particular, it's like I don't, um, I don't pine over the days of like being on the road anymore because realistically, you couldn't pay me enough money to you know, do a full United States tour for six weeks. It just doesn't sound that appealing to me. Um, you know, maybe like a week tour, like yeah, I can handle that. That's fine. But um, there is that element of just kind of you know throwing caution to the wind and being like, all right, I want to do this because I was obsessed with that for quite some time, for maybe about two or three years, the whole life of a transient in regards to, uh, you know, like jumping from boxcar to boxcar and finding your way from one place to another um, with no real plan. Sounds awesome. So anyways, thank you very much to Mark for coordinating this and thank you very much to our producer, Tom Richfield, as always, for supplanting this idea in my head and pushing me along to get it done. Visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Visit jabberjawmedia.com. And, um, yeah, next week I have an idea of what I'm going to release, but I'm not going to say it because there's uh, I've, I've had some minor technical glitches that may prevent it from being released on time. I'm, I'm trying to do the year-end episode next week, but I'll keep you posted. So um, you'll either get the year-end episode or you'll get another interesting conversation. So there you go. Until next week, please be safe, everybody. Everybody.